0: Today on Not Sam Wrestling, after the last ride comes to an end, I've got ten reasons why The Undertaker will not retire, and we will list every single one of them. This is Not Sam Wrestling.
1: This is Not Sam Wrestling.
0: Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam
1: Roberts.
0: Oh, my. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope everybody had a great weekend. Hope it was good Father's Day for a lot of you. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. And I'm not going to lie. It's going to be tough. I feel like... uh, I feel like episode 295 is when this cowboy should have walked off for real. Okay? I feel like that will go down in history as the peak of Not Sam Wrestling podcasting. What can I tell you? I hate to think I'm past my prime. I was once known as primetime Sam Roberts. I still think of myself that way. But I feel like after having what I believe is the best take on Backlash's greatest wrestling match ever in the world, I was thinking about it all week. I went on The Bump and talked about it. The Bump even tweeted over the weekend that I blew their minds with my breakdown, and they only got the five-minute breakdown, not the 20 minutes or so that we did on the show. By the way, that whole breakdown I posted over to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash notsamwrestling. But the more I thought about it and the more I saw tweets going out and the more I I listened to so-called experts, experts, run around and the journalists of the world run around and, and give their take on what happened to Backlash, The more I realized that my take on the greatest wrestling match ever was the greatest take on the greatest wrestling match ever, ever. There is literally nobody that talks about wrestling for a living or even doesn't do it for a living, just does it as a hobby. There is nobody who publicly analyzed that match and had a better take than me. Nobody. And I'm going to tell you right now, 20 years from now, when I'm looked at as one of these like old-timey experts who's seen it all and understands, but I'm going to remind you all that at this point in my life, people, they referred to me as an a-hole. That's what they did. They didn't give me the respect due when I was proving what will. But you were there. You guys understand. You guys will remember. So to have that, to have that greatest take on the greatest wrestling match ever, ever, anywhere, and you could send that to whoever you want. I don't care. Everybody needs to hear that. Mine was better than anybody else's. Then to follow that up with, oh yeah, by the way, that should be a podcast in and of itself. If I just dropped that chunk of wisdom on you and said that is my contribution to the wrestling community for the week that would have been enough but I followed it up with and by the way here's my interview with The Undertaker come on there is no better wrestling podcast than Not Sam Wrestling episode 295 it's the best one that will ever exist how could it be any better how nobody's doing a better one ever including me But we'll see. Who knows? I mean, I'm the one who pulled it off the first time. Maybe I'll pull it off again. We'll see. Maybe this one will be so great you guys will go, I didn't think he was going to do it again but 296 was even better. Who knows? Who knows? That's the fun of not Sam wrestling. You never know. Now, wrestling was turned on its head uh, over the weekend. A lot of allegations flying around on Twitter. And you know, I think that everybody involved uh, deserves to have everything played out. Uh, But I will say this, people that come forward when bad things happen to them, I have a lot of respect for. It's a very, very, very difficult thing to do. Um, And while false accusations are some of the most uh, scumbaggy uh, 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 stuff that you can do, I would say that uh, cleaning up even if it's cleaning up an entire industry, is is usually a positive thing. So we'll see what happens with that. It is terrible to uh, realize this about some of the people that you might have looked up to, but hopefully uh, in the long run, it'll do a lot of good. Uh, there was a big change in the way WWE was presented over the last seven days, I think, and maybe it has a lot to do with the transition that was made from Paul Heyman doing raw and Bruce Prichard doing SmackDown to Bruce Prichard doing both. Maybe it was just a company, uh, push and it happened to go along with the switch in heads of creative. You know, who knows, who knows if one individual can be credited for it. At the end of the day, if one individual is going to be credited for it, it's probably going to be Vince McMahon because he's the one. Um, but, through, through Raw, NXT, and SmackDown, which is why, to me, it was so interesting. It's not like just Raw made a shift. I found that watching Raw, NXT, and SmackDown in the last seven days, there is far more push on story and far less push on wrestling. This is something that I've been saying WWE, throughout all three brands, desperately has needed to do since they started performing at the performance center since they left the arenas something that I said from the beginning is they should be relying far more on creativity and outside the box thinking than long form wrestling matches because all a long form wrestling match is going to do is remind people how good this could have been best case scenario is that would have been amazing if it was in an arena so I like that that there's just a lot happening on these shows. And some people don't. Some people prefer the wrestling, and that's cool. You know, there are wrestling fans that just are watching because they want to see a great match, and I get that. I mean, that's that's one of—wrestling matches are one of the key pillars of professional wrestling. But the dirty little secret is that it's not just about the matches, that there's a lot that goes into professional wrestling, and entertainment is a huge part of it, especially the TV. I am a huge proponent of the idea that television, wrestling television, should be primarily about the stories and things happening, not just matches. Because television, even now, even as much as everything has changed, you know, when, when, when in the beginning of my period of watching wrestling, we're talking the late 80s, wrestling on television was really a push to get people into buildings. The only reason you had a wrestling TV show was an infomercial for house shows. And you wouldn't put big matches on TV. You would lead to big matches and say, if you want to see this big match, you have to buy a ticket to see it. As that business model started to fade away somewhat. I mean, still existed, you know, up until a few months ago, but as the television became more of a global product and not a market to market product, the TV became more about, okay, let's use this TV to lead up to pay per views. And we're still going to do these big matches throughout the world. We're going to go, you know, we're going to do them throughout the United States. And then when we do a European tour, when we do a South African tour, when we go everywhere, you know, we'll be there. But ultimately, let's use the TV to push towards pay per view. Um, Because that is the thing that people are going to buy. And then that's why the big blow offs will happen there. Um, In the last couple of years, I feel like the business of wrestling, especially WWE, has changed to just being a content company where the way they're going to make their money and and they're very good at adapting. They're very good at figuring out what entertainment and media business looks like in the time that they're in and they adapt their business to go along with that. And that's what they've done over the past couple of years if this. They've realized that they have to continue to evolve that the pay-per-view model is not what it once was. So they have to continue to evolve as an entertainment company and say, "Look, maybe the move here is that as television as a whole becomes less and less of a strong commodity because of over-the-top streaming services, because of everything else that's available to entertain people, let's realize that the content that we put out there has a value. Let's realize that there's not that much live content that you can put on television that you can convince an audience is must-see. You have to turn this on at this time, on this day, and watch it live. And pro wrestling is that, at its best. Uh... But still, even with that being the model, I feel like the goal of pro wrestling on television is always going to be to get new people, not just to satiate the audience that you currently have. But the goal is going to be, and, and, and it means whether it's so that you can sell more live event tickets, whether you can sell more pay-per-views, whether you can do more uh, uh, network subscriptions, whatever it is, the only reason to be on TV is to get new eyes and new ears all the time on your product. If that wasn't the case, then you would just do your entire business over a streaming service. You would just throw up a paywall and just say, look, if this is not about finding new customers, if this is just about satiating the fans that we already have, then why don't we just put everything on the network, charge everybody 10 bucks a month, and we'll get our money that way. And that could be it. But the money is in expanding. The money is in growing. And that to me is why. A pro wrestling TV show. Should not just be. Hey wrestling fans are going to love this. It should be. Oh I haven't watched wrestling in a while. Let me see what's going on here. Or I've never liked wrestling. But there's something interesting about what's happening here. And that. Nine times out of 10 will come from storyline stuff, not from wrestling matches. There will be moments where you have such a great match or such a unique match or whatever it is where you've got people that are going, oh, wow, I didn't know that wrestling was like this. This is fantastic. But in all likelihood, I mean, you look at the Attitude Era and it was the, I mean, there was a period of time when the Mean Street Posse versus the Stooges, Briscoe and Patterson was one of the top rated segments of all time. This is your life rock where it's just mankind and the rock doing comedy in the ring. Nobody touching each other was one of the highest rated segments of all time. One of the segments that changed the Monday night war that, that brought people over to WWE that brought people back to Monday night raw. Finally, instead of nitro was technically a match, but it was Steve Austin versus Vince McMahon. It wasn't a wrestling match. It was the culmination of a storyline. And I, I think that, that ultimately that's what TV should be. And I really liked that I was watching Raw on Monday. And it felt like it was just moving, moving, moving. Now, this is really difficult to do. The storyline stuff is really difficult to do on a three-hour Raw. One of the reasons you have these long matches on Raw is because you got three hours of time to fill every single week. There's nobody in entertainment that has to write three live hours of television a week, 52 weeks a year let alone six live hours because you've also got, I'm sorry, seven live hours because you've also got two hours of NXT and two hours of SmackDown. So all told, you're talking about seven hours of live content every week, 52 weeks a year. It's insane. It's not a mystery as to why they go, yeah, well, you know what? Let's rely on the wrestling sometimes. After all, this is wrestling. Wrestling fans will like it and- It'll eat up some time, which we need to do. Um, But I really, really think, even if it means, I don't know if it means bringing on new writers, if it just means thinking about things differently, I think Raw's like we saw on Monday, and SmackDown's like we saw on Friday, and even NXT's like we saw on Wednesday, are the shows that are going to get more people tuning in. And it's going to make the pay-per-views and the takeovers feel more special. You know, if you've got 20, 25-minute matches every single week on Raw, NXT, and SmackDown, not or, and SmackDown, and then you're like, oh, and by the way, if you have the network, you can watch this pay-per-view where we're going to do 20 to 25-minute matches. And you're like, I see it. I see it. There's nothing in me as a fan. I'll go It should be fun. I'd like to watch it, but I need to feel like I wake up that Sunday morning and go, oh, man, I got to see what's going to happen at Extreme Rules. I got to see what's going to happen here. If you don't have these TV matches happening every single week, it'll make you feel more like the match of the pay-per-view is an actual blow-off match, which is so valuable to everything, which is so valuable to the overall business of professional wrestling to me. You know, I, I I thought having this story play out over the course of the three hours with Drew McIntyre and R-Truth and Bob Lashley and MVP, like, I was really getting into it. I liked, and then I liked that they did like a winner-take-all tag team match because it could have been, well, these two champions, if it was just R-Truth and Drew McIntyre, versus MVP and Bob Lashley, then a lot of different things could happen. But honestly, there is nothing in me that would say that I can't turn off the TV. Look, I wake up early in the morning. I want Monday Night Raw to earn my eyes. I want Monday Night Raw, if I feel like I can catch this on DVR, I will. And a lot of times when I say I'll catch it on DVR, and if I'm being honest, I don't catch it on DVR. I watch a YouTube clip or I read about it because the week gets away from me. And a lot of times it doesn't matter that much. But when there are storyline elements that are being played out, it does. You know, it really does. And I think that putting the titles on the line in the main event last week, did that. Not that you really sat there and thought, oh, maybe Bobby Lashley will win the WWE championship this week. But it was like, oh, so there's you've now limited what they can do unless they want to severely alter what they're going for. Also, our truth in a in an instant gets elevated like crazy. The 24-7 championship in an instant gets elevated like crazy. Are they gonna have MVP win the 24-7 championship? Uh is Drew McIntyre going to get frustrated with truth? Uh, you know, maybe MVP will try to pin truth and Bobby Lashley will get mad about it. Like, you know, there, there's now all of a sudden far more story elements that you can do with this. And I loved that. I mean, I thought on SmackDown, uh, I wasn't looking forward to a championship ceremony with AJ Styles. You know, I've seen a hundred of them. But I was into the fact that uh, AJ... um didn't want to defend his title and not because he was a coward, but he actually had reasons for it. You know, I'm now invested in this idea that next week or this Friday, technically this week, we're going to see Drew Gulak versus AJ Styles. I now take Matt Riddle far more seriously on SmackDown than I would have if he had just shown up and had a match. The fact that he interrupted the fact that his character was explained by commentators, the fact that he got a little mic time, the fact that AJ Styles brushed him off but took him seriously enough that he didn't want to defend the Intercontinental Championship, and then the fact that Matt Riddle got the pin over him, I thought it was a great introduction of the Matt Riddle character, you know? I thought the Sonya Deville, Mandy Rose stuff was great. I thought, because because you're, you're, you're actually getting an opportunity to explain you're having whether you agree with it or not, you're having Sonia Deville say, This is why I don't like you, Mandy. This isn't just, oh, bad guy from a team turns on good guy from a team and now they have match. It's Sonia Deville going and telling the truth. Again, it's the same as AJ Styles. It's when the villain explains the story and you go, Okay, I don't agree with them, but from their perspective, it's logical. AJ Styles is sitting there saying, well, you know, Matt Riddle doesn't deserve uh, an opportunity at this title. I don't need to defend it here. I just want a tournament there. And you're like, yeah, no, that is true. It's not the most championship worthy thing. It makes me not like you, but it's not a lie. You have Sonya Deville who's sitting there going like, well, I didn't get any of the opportunities that Mandy Rose got. I didn't get the magazine cover. I didn't get Corey Graves out here on commentary saying such great things about me every week. And now, now that you've got everything in the world, what are you doing? You don't even have matches. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I can't agree with Mandy in the sense because I like, I mean, uh, uh, Sonia, because I like Mandy because Mandy's a good guy, but I can't sit here and say that I don't understand what Sonia's saying. I can't sit here and say, well, where'd she get that from? I didn't see any of that because I did see it because it makes sense. There's, there's story beats to it. All of a sudden now we can build towards a match. And there was a time when you would just see Sonya Deville versus Mandy Rose on SmackDown and that would be that. And it's like, no, if we keep doing segments like we're doing, we can delay that and then at Extreme Rules have like a Kendo stick match or something like that between Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose and you'll actually care because you've been waiting for the match to finally happen over the course of weeks. I think that's a good thing. I loved it on NXT where we're getting a multifaceted two-week Build, I guess technically three weeks, starting one, two, I mean, three episode build, right? That you are presented with this triple threat match that is going to happen. We were talking last week about how the North American Championship, I don't remember if this was last week or on one of the Patreon podcasts, but we were talking about how Keith Lee and the North American Championship absolutely must be elevated. Especially coming off of the last takeover, he beat Johnny Gargano. I mean, I'm telling you that Keith Lee only wrestling uh, 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 Damian Priest and Dominic Dijakovic did damage to both Keith Lee and to the North American Championship. You don't look at the North American Championship anywhere near the NXT World Championship. I mean, it's a secondary, secondary, secondary title to the point where... If you have the North American championship, it in no way, shape, or form means that you're ready for the NXT championship. And it should. It really should. And I think that this is going to help elevate that. Keith Lee needs to regain his standing that he had, I would say, in January. Coming off of Survivor Series into Royal Rumble, he was on top of the world. And then he didn't do anything. Nothing happened after that. And so people forgot. People cooled on it. But realistically speaking, you've got this North American title match where instead of just like the North American title is the spot for new guys to come in and try to have good matches, now the North American title is the spot where you've got Finn Balor, who is the history of NXT. Finn Balor is the first athlete to start forming NXT into what it is today. You have Johnny Gargano, who is the current Johnny Takeover. And you've got Keith Lee, who should be considered the future of the brand. You've got these three competing, not just for the North American Championship, but for generational dominance. You got Finn Balor who wants to come back and prove that he's better than he, he's even better now than he ever was. You've got Johnny Gargano who wants to prove that his time in the sun is not done yet. And you've got Keith Lee that wants to prove that both of their times in the sun are done. That it's his time and that his North American title reign should be looked at the way Johnny Gargano and Finn Balor were in their prime, which is past. That's what Keith Lee should be trying to prove. The fact that not only is this triple threat, and that's why, to me, the winner-take-all stipulation is important. Because now, not only do we have the three of the top people, not only in NXT, but in NXT history, competing for the North American Championship, but you've also got these three competing for the North American Championship and for an opportunity to face Adam Cole where one person will walk out with both titles. Now, do I think the two titles will really be unified? No, I don't. Do I think there will be chicanery? Yes, I do. But this is the level of competition that NXT needs that you need to have a situation where the North American champion, whoever that is, feels like they should be champion. You've now got a situation where Adam Cole has to worry about Velveteen Dream Dexter Loomis, Karrion Cross, Johnny Gargano, Keith Lee, and Finn Balor all at the same time. And they're all arguing with each other over who can get there. And by the way, you could add Tommaso Champa as a seventh anytime you want to. But that's what NXT should look like. And that story needs to be told, not just through matches, but through matches with stipulations and through storylines. And I think that's what's happening in WWE right now. And I think that it's a really good thing. I think that the the, the WWE has been in need of that. Um, you know, I, I think that there's enough people that watch every week that will continue to watch every week. I think that we need to see what we're seeing last week continue because it basically gives you the reason. Why am I watching? Tell me why I should watch. I will watch anyway. I'm a big fan. Tell me why I should watch. Give me a reason. And they're like, okay, here's why you need to watch NXT. You need to find out who walks out the North American champion, not just because it will prove, you know, who the dominant force in NXT is, but it'll give you a hint at who your next NXT champion is. You're like, okay, you got me sold on that. Why should I watch Raw? You're like, why should you watch Raw? Raw? Well, at any point, the the WWE Championship could be switching hands at any point. You know, know, all this stuff is happening. Okay, all right. All right, you got me on that. Well, why should I watch SmackDown? SmackDown, you got this new guy, Matt Riddle, showing up. You got Drew Gulak over here doing this. You got AJ Styles who doesn't want to defend his title. You got your champion, Braun Strowman, who's now being haunted by Bray Wyatt, who everybody was like, is it going to be Funhouse Bray Wyatt, or is it going to be The Fiend? And you go, nope. And you go, what? And you go, it's traditional Bray Wyatt. You're like, oh, my God. And Braun looks freaked out by this, huh? And you go, yeah, because it's a story. And it's going in directions that maybe weren't so entirely obvious, which is great, which is all you can ask for in the world of professional wrestling. Um, now, speaking of the world of professional wrestling, specifically WWE, the last ride concluded on Sunday. If you're listening to this podcast the day it comes out, yesterday, but it... it, it Concluded on Sunday. And to me, it's certainly the best documentary series, if not the best series in general, that the WWE has ever done. Um, It's clear. I want to go back now and just watch every episode straight through. Just binge the thing. Now that all five parts are available. Because the story that is told from front to back is incredible. It really does tell the story of The Undertaker. It focuses on this last chapter, quote unquote, of his career. Uh, But you go back in time through it, you know? I mean, on this episode, he talks about how, when, and why he transitioned into the American badass. And, you know, I gave myself, I don't like to give myself pats on the back, but sometimes I have to. I talked about my analysis of the greatest wrestling match ever being the best ever, go back. Go back and listen to my analysis of the Undertaker character and why it was unfair to call the Undertaker the American badass that showed up to the AJ Styles match, the Boneyard match. Listen to what I said about that, even before WrestleMania, and then listen to what the Undertaker himself says about that character. If that doesn't prove to you that Scoops Roberts is a genius, that you could trust Scoops Roberts to have the analysis of the century, then I don't know what will. Because I literally said, here's what I believe The Undertaker is doing. And then The Undertaker said, hey, here's what I was doing. And it matched. And The Undertaker is the greatest of all time. What does that make me? I'll let you be the judge. I won't say it. I'll let you be the judge of that. Hey, before we go any further, allow me to interrupt with an interruption that you could have skipped. How could you have skipped it, you ask? By signing up to be a Not Sam shill at patreon.com slash not sam wrestling. Yes, every single week, the Patreons at Not Sam Wrestling, they get the podcast early and they get it ad free. Not only that, but for less than a dollar a week. You get an additional podcast. Every single Thursday, we drop Thursday, not Sam Thursday. As a matter of fact, there's this Thursday, we just did a, a, a watch-along of the greatest wrestling match ever. And I gave my critiques and play-by-play of the entire match only for the Not Sam Shills at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. There's tons of benefits to being a member. You get access to our Discord room where you can talk about Not Sam Wrestling with fellow Not Sam Shills 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You get the videos before anybody. You can have access to watching every podcast filmed live as it's happening from the Not Sam Studios. Not only that, but there's exclusive merch. There's free merch for the upper, upper, upper shills and before pay-per-views, I even invite some of you into a Zoom room, and we can hang out and talk about the pay-per-view right before it happens. So many benefits, so much fun to be a part of the community. I hope you already are, and if you're not, you can become a Not Sam Shell today at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. So we see... The American Badass formed. We see the stories of The Undertaker's debut. We see The Undertaker throughout the years. We see all this stuff. You know, in this episode, he's talking about Yokozuna and he's talking about Brian Adams' crush and he's talking about all these people. Kane calls him the godfather of wrestling and the rock of wrestling. But I wanted to tell Kane, hey man, there already is a godfather of wrestling. His name is The Godfather. Also, I don't know if anybody told you, there already is uh, The Rock of wrestling. His name is The Rock. And he's about to be the president one day. So, but, <laughs> but, although Kane got to be the mayor before The Rock got to be the president. So I would say two points for Kane on that one. Um, but to me, especially in this last episode, as I'm watching this, it's not just about The Undertaker. This documentary is about wrestling. This is documentary is about professional wrestling and it's told through the undertaker. And the undertaker is the perfect person to have that story told through because the undertaker gave his life for wrestling. The undertaker is wrestling everything, everything as he's talking, everything he talks about is they meaning the company, everything, every decision he makes is for the betterment of the company to the point that he can't ever fully retire Because just in case Vince ever says, hey, man, I need you, he'll be there for him. Because everything is the business for The Undertaker. That's why we love The Undertaker. Because inherently we know that's why that character will last forever. Because at no point will we see Mark Calloway bastardize that character for the betterment of Mark Calloway. Mark Calloway will never put The Undertaker above Mark Calloway. And he is maybe the only wrestler in the history of wrestling that that can be said for. He will not throw a tantrum and go home. He will not uh, go where the grass is greener for the money. And you heard him last week on this podcast say, WCW was handing out checks. WCW's creative was better, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it to Vince. I couldn't do it to the company. And anybody that was raised a WWE fan like me, anybody that feels that loyalty to the WWE, whether you're on the bankroll or not, because there's probably people rolling their eyes right now going, of course you're loyal, you're, you get paid by them. Go back and listen to episode one of this podcast, okay? My loyalty has never shifted. Go look at my Father's Day picture. It's my picture of Doink the Clown, okay? Look at me at, at Halloween 1992, dressed up as The Undertaker. You're never going to find a picture of me dressed up for Halloween as Sting, when everybody was dressed up for Halloween as Sting. You're never going to find a picture of me painting up my arm to have that Goldberg tribal tattoo, okay? Because I was too busy painting up my belly button to look like Batista, okay? Because I am a WWE guy and always have been and always will be, okay? You're going to find pictures of me as a kid dressed up like Hulk rules, like the Hulkster, but you're not going to find pictures of me dressed up like Hollywood, You know what who I dressed up? You know what wrestler I dressed up as when the whole world was dressed up as Sting for Halloween? You know who I dressed up as? This is a shoot. Dude Love. Okay? That's who I was for Halloween. I wanna say in ninety seven. Yeah, it had to be ninety seven, because Summer of Love was ninety seven. That was SummerSlam ninety seven was when he jumped off the cage, right? Or was that ninety six? No, that was ninety seven. Yep. Yeah. No, I was 96. So maybe it was Halloween 96. I don't know. But what I'm telling you is, instead of dressing up as NWO, Sting, Crow Sting, the coolest looking wrestling character ever, I dressed up as Dude Love. And this was, I I made my own Dude Love t-shirt. Made it. Because the t-shirt wasn't out yet. Okay? That's the level I'm playing at. I got a pair of sweatpants and wrote dude on one leg and love in the other with red puff paint. That's the level I'm playing at. So don't come to me and question my loyalty for WWE ever. So when you as a fan feel that kind of loyalty, you can feel that loyalty from a performer. And that's that's the loyalty you feel from The Undertaker. I mean, you watch that thing and The Undertaker starts list- listing his friends in the business and you're like, God, I want to be that guy's friend. <laughs> God, I want to just sit there and be a guy who hangs out and talks wrestling with The Undertaker all the time. Do you know how cool that would be? You know how amazing that would be? I thought there were a couple of uh, of really interesting tidbits um, from this week's episode. Uh, I thought that uh, the, first of all, it was the first straight-on acknowledgement of COVID-19 that the WWE has literally ever done. WWE has maybe mentioned the, the pandemic, quote unquote, here and there, not on television even, but like, you know, if Triple H is doing interviews or whatever. But when The Undertaker said, man, COVID-19 hit, and that was something different, and they started showing the articles and everything, and they start, and it was like, oh, they're actually talk, they're talking about it. They're saying COVID-19. They're not dancing around it, which I thought was really, really interesting. They're doing a lot with this documentary. I mean, they're going all the way. They're like, Undertaker, if we're going to expose you, we're going to show way more events than we ever have in any other project in a candid way. We're going to talk, and we're going to talk about everything. We're going to tell the truth about everything, you know? Um, I loved seeing the behind the scenes of the Boneyard match and seeing Doc Hendricks and Triple H and Jeremy Borash all together. You see Borash in there? Borash is the unsung hero, man. Borash in there trying to uh, get the shots right and everything. Triple H and Doc Hendricks using their genius too. I mean, that thing is, it made me want to watch the Boneyard match again. You see the Undertaker walking through everything. When you see the Undertaker helping that guy put the wall up, you're like, that's what I'm talking about. That's the level of commitment to the company he has where he's not big timing anybody, even though he's the greatest of all time. But, uh, you know, I feel like The real hook on this, you know, they they go through, they talk about how after Extreme Rules, The Undertaker felt like he might be okay being done. Because the tag match that he had, where it was Roman and Taker versus Drew McIntyre and Shane McMahon, he felt like that went so well that maybe he shouldn't push it. That finally, after searching, I would say from WrestleMania 34 or 33 in Orlando, starting from the Undertaker-Roman Reigns match, from that match forward, he was just searching for something to make up for that. And he hadn't found it. And he thought that he, he finally had a great performance at Extreme Rules. And he was like, okay, I'm done. And you saw the you saw the footage. You saw him whispering Vince's ear, I'm done. And Vince is like, all right, we'll talk about it. And he's like, no, I'm done. And Vince is like, we'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> okay. Okay. Undertaker's like, no, we'll see. I'm fi- I'm definitely finished. And Vincent is like, okay, we'll talk about it tomorrow. <laughs> like, it's like when a girl breaks up with you, like, I think we need to move on. You're like, all right, well, we'll see. <laughs> no, no, no. I think I think the relationship is over. Oh, you do? Okay, well, we'll find out, I guess. No, I'm trying to tell you that I'm not in love with you anymore. All right, well, we'll figure. sleep on it. We'll figure it out. <laughs> like, you just won't. You won't let it go.
1: <laughs> George
0: Costanza showing up for work the next day. George, you're fired. Oh, okay, we'll see. Yeah, okay. I'll be here. (laughs) (laughs) So so the Undertaker, uh, he comes back for SmackDown at Madison Square Garden. He does the Austin podcast. Who would have thought that doing that interview with Stone Cold? Because theoretically in his head, he's like, maybe I'm down already. So I'll just do this interview with Austin. But then he starts sounding like he's maybe not finished. And that's how AJ gets the bug. And AJ starts talking to The Undertaker. I love that there was that, the rib they played on AJ. I thought it was funny. And they totally got him. AJ was like, they tried to get me. I was, yeah, no, they got you, dude. They got you. You can admit it. Um, and then, you know, the big thing was that the match got changed at the last minute, turned into the Boneyard match. And The Undertaker said he was actually really happy with it. The, you know, he went back into conditioning. He back, went back into training. He trained even harder than he did with John Cena and they did with Roman Reigns. Uh, but even though he didn't have that traditional match where he was ready to go 25, 35 minutes, he still felt like the the amount of output that that match took to film, even though it was start and stop and it wasn't traditional, he felt like he he still got out what he put in. That he did need that level of training for it. Uh, which I thought was very very interesting because that was my first thought is that when he trained to have that match with John Cena and it only went, you know, four minutes and he was ready to go 40, to me, even though that was great, that was done on purpose because they knew it would not scratch that itch, scratch that major wrestling figure podcast itch. It would not do it. Um, and I wondered if, you know, watching him train and seeing him get in better shape than he was even in, and really... When you looked at the footage of him training, you were like, am I looking at a younger Undertaker? Like, that was—because you look at the Undertaker sometimes, and you're like, oh, he looks like 55. But when he was training for the AJ Styles match, maybe it was just the placement of the bandana. I don't know. But when I saw that guy, I was like, he looks 10 years younger than I've seen him look. He looks incredible. And I thought to myself— Maybe that's going to be the hook. Maybe because he was ready to go a traditional 35-minute wrestling match and didn't get to do it, maybe that's still in him now. But he says at the end it's not. He says that it did scratch the itch, that 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 he did get out what he needed uh, in that Boneyard match. He says this is the time that the cowboy walks away. But I'm telling you right now, okay, Since this documentary has started, The Undertaker has been out doing every interview talking about wrestling and loves talking about wrestling, by the way. He can't even say it for the documentary, really. He talks about how he's got a lump in his throat. He's not saying it definitively. He's still saying, I'm going to go out on my own terms. And he's still referring to the breaking case of emergency glass. And he looked really good in the Boneyard match. And he got such high praise for it I am telling you right now, he talked about high praise. There's one other thing that The Undertaker has done. Actually, I would say two. When we talk about the things that The Undertaker has done, that it's universal high praise. Not talking about his career. I'm talking about specific things. Obviously, Boneyard match, universal uh, praise. The matches with Shawn Michaels, universal praise. And the Last Ride documentary series is universal praise. I am telling you right now, We're getting another Undertaker match. I don't care what this guy says. We are absolutely getting another Undertaker match. There is no doubt in my mind. I'm watching this thing, and the Undertaker can't fully say I'm done. He can't fully say he's done. This documentary has created a so much larger appreciation for the entire career, for the man that Mark Calloway is, for the legend that The Undertaker is, this documentary series put that man on people's Mount Rushmore. This documentary series is the thing that took The Undertaker. The Undertaker was almost too dependable throughout his career. When people talk about their Mount Rushmores, Austin gets mentioned, Michaels gets mentioned, Flair gets mentioned, Hogan gets mentioned, Dusty gets mentioned. Sometimes Cena gets mentioned when they want to do something, you know, controversial. But those are generally the names that you hear. Sometimes Brett, every now and then Brett will get a mention. And the, all those names are fair, by the way. I would never argue with any of those names being on anybody's Mount Rushmore. But the Undertaker does, name doesn't get mentioned nearly enough. And that's because he is so faithful. Faithful. Faithful? faithful? Oh, faithful. Faithful. You can put so much faith in him. Sometimes when you are that consistent, it can breed contempt. Sometimes when people just come to expect that of you, you don't have to have the title put on you all the time. You don't have to be put into the spotlight all the time because you're going to be there anyway, and you're going to give an amazing performance anyway, and the character is going to speak for itself. And that is the story of The Undertaker. I don't think the appreciation for The Undertaker has been where it's needed to be ever. I think it finally is there. And the fact that it finally is there means that if The Undertaker wrestles another match, we're not looking at Undertaker versus Bray Wyatt, WrestleMania 31, put it in the middle of the card and have The Undertaker do his entrance when it's still sunny outside. We're looking at the biggest WrestleMania match of all time, hypothetically. I believe The Undertaker will be back for one more match I believe it will be a WrestleMania match. And I think The Undertaker wants will want to make that deal. Look, it, it'll be putting all your chips on the table. The Undertaker comes back for one more match. It will either ruin what was created from this documentary and what was left behind by that amazing Boneyard match, or it will cement that The Undertaker is the greatest of all time. I was thinking about who. Who do we still need to see The Undertaker wrestle? Because that's the big question, right? Now we're really looking at this. Not who are the next five people The Undertaker's going to wrestle. One more match for all the marbles. This is it. Because realistically, The Undertaker has not had that moment to celebrate him Since WrestleMania 28, after the Triple H match, that series of Sean, Sean, Hunter, Hunter, those four matches were the defining WrestleMania moments for Undertaker. And in terms, because after that, you've got CM Punk. In terms of matches that he's won, you've got CM Punk, which, I mean, it was a fine match. You've got Bray Wyatt, which was a dud. Um. Shane McMahon, which was, you know, it was cool to see Shane back and fall off a cell. Uh and then who is that he's won? Uh I feel like there was one more. Oh, Cena, obviously, which was not even a real match. So those are the four that he's won. And none of them are 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 big time matches. And then he's got two that he's lost. One is to Brock Lesnar and one is to Roman Reigns. And the two that he's lost haven't been the moments of I'm giving you the crown. I'm putting you over. You could argue the Brock Lesnar match was, but the problem is he doesn't remember the Brock Lesnar match. So it doesn't get to be that moment in his head. To me, Brock Lesnar beating The Undertaker was the most valuable thing that Brock Lesnar ever did. Brock Lesnar beating The Undertaker changed the course of Brock Lesnar and the course of WWE history forever. I think that Brock Lesnar's victory over The Undertaker uh, was cashed in tenfold, and every bit of value that they could have possibly gotten out of ending the streak has been gotten out of Brock Lesnar beating The Undertaker 100% of the time. However, you're not exactly putting a young guy over, and like I said, Taker don't even remember walking to the ring that night. So that's not going to do it for him. And in terms of, you know, saying, Roman, you're the guy now. Undertaker hated that match. He thought he was terrible in it. So he hasn't had that moment either. He has not had a moment at a WrestleMania that comes anywhere near to that moment with Triple H. And you could say the Boneyard match. But he talks in the documentary about wanting to bottle the energy of the audience. That is what he didn't get in the Boneyard match. He is getting one more match because the whole quest, the entire reason the documentary exists is because all The Undertaker wants to do is to repeat the moment that he should have ended his career on, which is WrestleMania 28. In terms of moments. I'm not saying that any, you know, I'm just saying in terms of moments. That's the moment Taker wants. Win or lose. If he loses, he wants to have lost an amazing match and put somebody over forever. If he wins, he wants to have won an amazing match. And he hasn't done either of those two things since WrestleMania 28. There's 10, 10, 10, count them, 10 people that The Undertaker should have a match with before he goes. We're never going to get all 10. It's not going to happen. But... This is what we need to see. And, you know, Gronk is obviously number 10. Gronk, we got to see The Undertaker versus Gronk. I'm just kidding. Not The Undertaker versus Gronk. But there are a few people, you know, I'd love to see Undertaker versus Cena for real. I'd love to see Undertaker versus this version of Randy Orton. I'd love to see Undertaker versus this version of Edge. But those aren't on my list because those aren't matches. Those are, we've seen those matches before. It would just be a refresh. All of those would be amazing to see a refresh, and all three of those would be amazing matches. But there's ten matches that I think could change everything for the Undertaker. First one up, I think is cut. First two are pretty obvious. Drew McIntyre versus the Undertaker would be next level. You know, I think you you have both those guys having a great match. Drew McIntyre. You can do for him what you intended to do for Roman Reigns at Wrestlemania 33. You can, and maybe it'll work, you know? I think there were a couple reasons why Wrestlemania 33 didn't work. Number one, the Undertaker wasn't happy with the match. Number two, the fans weren't happy with Roman Reigns. So I think if you've got a scenario where the fans are happy with Drew McIntyre and the Undertaker can be happy with a match, you can really do something huge. And you've got WWE champion Drew McIntyre versus The Undertaker, that's who he's got to defend his title against. And you got the possibility of making Drew McIntyre. I think that there's only upside. I think the number two is pretty obvious too, and that's AJ Styles have a real match with AJ Styles. WWE is already hinting at it. WWE is not letting go of The Undertaker and they're doing it on purpose. AJ Styles wrestled in the Money in the Bank match wearing purple, gray, and black. There's a reason for that. AJ Styles was being haunted by The Undertaker during the Money in the Bank match. There's a reason for that. I think AJ Styles, my number two pick, probably the most obvious pick and probably the most likely pick and maybe the best pick too. But I don't think we're done with the AJ Styles story. And I think that the world still wants to see AJ Styles versus The Undertaker at WrestleMania in a stadium packed with people. And you know what? Maybe AJ wins. Maybe he doesn't. I would say have AJ win this one. I think Undertaker should lose this match against any of these people. Um. But uh, yeah, I mean, to me, that's the way to go with AJ Styles. All right. So let's start. Uh, let's start getting into the less obvious, okay? In my top 10 reasons that are human beings, that the Undertaker needs to stick around and have one more match. That's somebody who we talked about at the beginning of the podcast somebody who's in NXT right now. One of the reasons uh, why The Undertaker can be so valuable is because he can have a great match with a younger guy. And should that younger guy be able to win or even have an amazing performance, it would make his whole career. It would change everything for him. And Keith Lee could be that man. I think, you know, because here's the thing. The Undertaker, and you heard it in the interview uh, last week. We talked about John Gonzalez. We talked about Mabel. You know, Yokozuna a little bit we talked about. Um, The Undertaker's history with big men. That's The Undertaker, you know, having a monster, an unstoppable monster come in and The Undertaker has to stop him. Too many of those big men, unfortunately, couldn't wrestle. But when The Undertaker is in there with a big unstoppable monster who actually can go. For instance, Yokozuna, you got some classics that you're going to have. If you paint Keith Lee as this immovable object, this irresistible force, this unstoppable monster. And then have Undertaker dust off the coat, dust off the hat and bring up, you know, bring up all these monsters that he's had to subdue. Bring up Vader, bring up Mabel, bring up Yoko. I don't know if you want to bring up El Gigante. It's probably not that necessary, but bring everybody up. Bring up the big show. Bring up all these monsters that The Undertaker had to stop and have The Undertaker go, you know what? I want the best for you. I want this to be your generation. I want you to be the man. But you're not going to get there by beating me. It was dumb that you challenged me. And I'm going to set your career back a few pegs. And that's the story going in? And then so, and, and, and so you've really built around this thing that if Keith Lee beats The Undertaker, Keith Lee is the man. But The Undertaker is not ready. The Undertaker thinks that Keith Lee is stupid for challenging him. And that's what Keith Lee has to contend with now. That, to me, is a fabulous story. And I think Keith Lee and Undertaker have an amazing, amazing match. Another guy, number four on my list, uh, of, of reasons that The Undertaker needs to have one more match is a guy who is also in NXT right now. A guy who, despite his size, can come across as unbeatable. A guy who, in my opinion, is having some of the best promos in the company right now because he's coming across as authentic. He's being himself. He's using wrestling jargon, uh, but not in a hokey way. Doesn't feel like he's trying too hard. He's not doing it so much that it doesn't bring people in, and that man is Finn Balor. I think that rock and rolla, real Prince Finn Balor, not Demon Finn Balor, Prince Finn Balor, Devitt. I think because that's what we're seeing right now in NXT. Right, we we're calling him Finn Balor, but we're looking at Devitt. We're looking. That's why he's called the Prince. This is Prince Devitt. I think Devitt versus Undertaker could be outrageous. I think Devitt versus Undertaker would answer every question as to why Finn Balor was brought to the WWE with such hype to begin with. Devitt versus Undertaker says this is why. We wanted to make him Universal Champion right away. This is why when he showed up to NXT, people were so excited. Devitt versus The Undertaker would remind people that when Finn Balor got signed to WWE, he was the best wrestler on the planet. Devitt versus The Undertaker would remind people oh, yeah, this is a dream match from a few years ago. This is Tokyo Dome Devitt versus. Madison Square Garden Undertaker, okay? This is Wrestle Kingdom's main event fighter versus WrestleMania's main event fighter. This is Prince Devitt versus The Undertaker. Finn Balor coming in and saying, I'm the man, period. And I have no respect for tradition. And The Undertaker going, well, you're gonna have to get through me to get there. I mean, take everything I have. Take my money. Take my house. I'll give you one of my two kids. You know, whatever you need, whatever you need. To me, that story, if told right, oh my god! And then the match itself. You know, you got these two guys working around the fact that there's this huge height differential. You've got just a a, a lawless, ruthless, badass Finn Balor looking to embarrass the Undertaker. You got an angry, you got a pissed off Undertaker looking to hurt Finn Balor. I think it'd be awesome. I think it would be awesome. Speaking of best wrestlers in the world, my number five pick for why The Undertaker can't leave wrestling just yet is a pick that can't feasibly happen. It certainly isn't going to happen this year at WrestleMania, but this is a total fantasy draft. I never want to see The Undertaker... Wrestle or do anything for any company outside of WWE. I don't want to see him in a ring even to say hello if it's not a WWE ring. But that said, I do wish that Kenny Omega had come to WWE after leaving New Japan. I wish that Kenny Omega was in WWE instead of AEW. And I would be very compelled by a Kenny Omega Undertaker match. I mean, you know, everything we just said about Finn Balor versus The Undertaker, I mean, if you want to put together a dream match, you put Kenny Omega versus The Undertaker in a WrestleMania ring, you got The Undertaker who's sitting there going like, boy, I've seen a lot of things in my life, but I don't see nothing that tells me why you're the best in the world. Everybody keeps telling me how great this Kenny Omega is. I don't see it. I don't see a damn thing. I see a, a a mop-headed mark for himself. Who thinks he's better than he is. I mean, come on. And I'd have him do it. Have the Undertaker call Kenny Omega Mark for himself. Have Kenny Omega step up and go, listen, dead man. And you know what I mean? Have Kenny Omega get creative. But you'd have to sign Kenny Omega to WWE first, which would be tr- tricky. But I just think it'd be a great story. I think it'd be great. Um Number six, to me, should go one way, but could go another way. WrestleMania 35 had one of my favorite WrestleMania moments ever. And that moment was Kofi Kingston winning the WWE Championship. The story that was told to get there. The fact that it wasn't supposed to happen. Everything about it. It was perfect. It's gonna go down in history as one of the great moments in WWE, and it meant so much more. It was so much bigger than Kofi Kingston. It was so much bigger than Daniel Bryan. It was so much bigger than WrestleMania. I mean, it was it was a cultural stamp. It it, it was it was it was it was a landmark in the industry to me, and I don't think a make good has ever come from Kofi Kingston getting slaughtered by Brock Lesnar on the first episode of SmackDown on Fox. That was October. That's going to be a year ago in a couple months. That was about 10 months ago, maybe nine. And the make good just hasn't happened. I think that there is just as much appreciation for Kofi as ever, maybe more so than ever. And I think this idea of Kofi stepping up And building up to a Kofi Kingston versus Undertaker match? Take my money. I think Kofi versus Undertaker would be killer. Now, I think you could go a different way, and this doesn't count for another pick. This is still number six. Big E could also do it. And I'm pairing them together because two members of the New Day that could splinter out and tell this story. But in order for the story to be told properly, just like with, with Daniel Bryan, you know, Big E and Xavier took a backseat. Kofi didn't leave the New Day, but the story became about Kofi. And Big E and Xavier were, go- were smart enough to know, like, okay, we'll just be here in the background while our man goes and makes history. And I think that same thing could happen here. Big E and Xavier would have to go into the background again, or Xavier and Kofi would have to go into the background as Big E got the shot to face the undertaker the benefit to having big e get the match would be that it would cement big e as a singles competitor and that needs to happen that i mean big e's breakout needs to happen 2 weeks ago you know what i'm saying so that's what made me think big e but my heart my heart wants kofi my heart wants a kofi undertaker match because when i think of 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 good guys who deserve victories over The Undertaker, who deserve to have that notch in their career. I can't think of anybody more than Kofi that deserves it. Not only because of him never getting the make good for the way he lost to Brock Lesnar, but because he deserved that WrestleMania victory so much. I mean, to me, Kofi Kingston deserved that WrestleMania victory and then to be a main event star for the rest of his career. And I think it's a place we need to get back to for Kofi and for the legacy of Kofi. And I think that this is a match that could do that. Um, My number seven, I'm going to switch around my number seven to number eight, actually. My number seven now Um, is just a good old-fashioned good guy versus bad guy, baby face versus heel match. People are going to kill me for this one some of you guys are are loving I'm sure some of the picks that I've made I can't imagine people thinking that that Kofi versus Undertaker wouldn't be amazing I can't imagine that that people thinking uh 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 that that people thinking Finn Balor versus Undertaker wouldn't be amazing but you might kill me for this one my number seven pick is Baron Corbin. (laughs) You're probably going, come on. Come on, you you homer. Come on, you shill. Baron Corbin. But look, Baron Corbin, to me, I think that was actually a good pick for Kurt Angle to have his last match against, and they screwed it up. I think that having Kurt Angle come out the next night on Raw and put Corbin in an Olympic slam was the wrong move. Um, And I think in the year since then, while you have given him the king of the ring, you know, he spent a few months getting beaten up by Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch. Then he got a few months spent getting beaten up by Roman Reigns. And now he's spent a few months getting beaten up by Elias. So it's like, you know, you really have not gotten the juice that I think you could have from Baron Corbin. And I think that if you were to elevate Baron Corbin to where he could be as one of the top bad guys, to me, Baron Corbin is a modern day JBL. I see that JBL character in Baron Corbin. I think Baron Corbin is that type of heel. He's an old school type of heel where you hate him so much, you think that he's bad at being a heel, but you don't understand that's actually just how good he is at being a heel. Um, and I think that a lot could be done there. You know, I think there's so much love for The Undertaker and it's so easy to hate Baron Corbin that it would just be a fun, traditional, good guy versus bad guy story to tell. All right. I'm not going to go too much into detail on that one because you guys will light my podcast on fire and I don't want that. My number eight pick for reasons that Undertaker has to stick around is going back A couple years. And I was talking about Wrestlemania. Since Wrestlemania 28. And how. uh, You know. He hasn't had that moment. And one of the matches I mentioned. Was Wrestlemania 31. Wrestlemania push play button. And that was with Bray Wyatt. You know. I mean. That was another match. That was a huge pitfall. In Bray Wyatt's career. It was a match that on paper should have done everything for him, but an execution destroyed him, destroyed. That loss to The Undertaker was almost as irrecoverable as the loss to John Cena. The loss to John Cena stopped Bray Wyatt in his tracks. The loss to The Undertaker let the world know that this is not the guy. This is not him. This ain't it, Chief. That's what you knew about Bray Wyatt when he lost to The Undertaker at WrestleMania push play. Um, I think that there is every reason in the world. And by the way, you could do this without the Undertaker even having to get back into match shape. There is every reason in the world to bring the Undertaker into that Firefly funhouse. There is every reason in the world to explore the history of the Undertaker, to explore the history of Bray Wyatt and the Undertaker. Whoa, there is a lot of meat on that bone, boy. When you got a performer like Bray Wyatt, who when he first came in, you had uh, fellas like me sitting there going, well, the Bray Wyatt character is the first character that I've really seen that could maybe achieve Undertaker-like status. And then you watch him over the course of a few years just free fall to the point where you're like, oh my God, this will never be anything. And part of that free fall was Losing to the Undertaker, you know, part of that free fall was you've got a guy coming in saying, well, he's the next big Undertaker type character, and the Undertaker is the one that stops it from happening. "Uh Uh-oh, what do we got here? You know, and then to see the character grow even further to the point where now you've got the Fiend coming out here and nobody says, oh, the Fiend is like the Undertaker. Because The Fiend isn't like anything that came before it. Just like The Undertaker wasn't like anything that came before it, you know? Maybe that was the problem with Bray Wyatt. Maybe it was too reminiscent of things that we had seen before as unique as it was. Maybe we saw Waylon Mercy, but with the commitment of The Undertaker. And then The Fiend comes out here and it's like, okay, like, I'm in a Friday the 13th slasher flick. You know? And that's the story that gets told inside the Firefly Funhouse. And then the real Mark Calloway comes out. And then all the insecurities we learned about in the documentary start to come out. And then we see The Undertaker. And then we see The Undertaker in purple. And then we see The Undertaker in the fan of the Opera mask. And then we see, you know, Undertaker in leather pants coming out at Survivor Series. And then we see satanic, demonic Ministry of Darkness Undertaker. And then we see American Badass Undertaker. And then we see Old West Undertaker from WrestleMania 20. And then we see MMA Undertaker. And then we see Old Man Undertaker. And then we see this version of the Undertaker, real-life Undertaker, Mark Calloway. And that gets flushed out through the 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 fiery hell pits of the Firefly Funhouse. I think if there is anybody that needs a trip into there. As much as John Cena, it would be The Undertaker. I think that The Undertaker is the only, arguably, I would say, the only other character. I mean, you could do one with Brian, with Daniel Bryan, just because the history between Bray and Bryan is so much. But realistically, in terms of depth, both in character and in history with Bray, in real life history with Bray, I don't think there's anybody other than The Undertaker that is on the Cena level. And I think The Undertaker might even be more on the level than Cena. I think there might be more story to tell with The Undertaker just because of the comparisons that you make between Bray and The Undertaker. Number nine, and this is a big one. Number nine to me could be The Undertaker's version of twice in a lifetime John Cena versus The Rock, except we would only do it once this time. Seth Rollins, the Monday Night Messiah versus The Undertaker, and there are so many real-life levels that this works on, having this version of Seth Rollins versus The Undertaker. As I've said before, the Monday Night Messiah character, I adore, and the reason why I like it so much is because it's based on a story that was based on real life. The Monday Night Messiah The reason that Seth Rollins became a Messiah and and started developing all these followers is because the storyline was that Seth Rollins, as a good guy, wanted to be the locker room leader. And after Survivor Series, everybody turned their back on him and left. That as badly as Seth Rollins wanted to be the guy and as badly as Seth Rollins wanted to be the locker room leader, the locker room wouldn't have it. And... Who is that guy? Who is that guy? Who's the, who's the role model for locker room leader? When we say locker room leader, who is the guy that people are trying to be like in real life? It's The Undertaker. Seth Rollins wanted to lead the WWE locker room in 2020 the way The Undertaker did in 2000, in, you know, the late 90s. But The Locker Room wouldn't have it. Where they looked at The Undertaker, with all the respect in the world, where the Undertaker represented the business, where the Undertaker was able to walk this line between the office and the boys and be accepted by both. Seth Rollins wasn't all that accepted by the office and wasn't accepted by the boys at all. And when you get these two juxtaposed characters, the Undertaker is everything Seth Rollins always wanted to be in real life, theoretically, quote unquote. Then you add in the fact That, And the reason why I say it's like twice in a lifetime is because the John Cena-Rock WrestleMania feud really started when John Cena was doing interviews. And he kind of smack-talked The Rock in him, And he said that, you know, I'm here day in, day out for this company. And you've got guys like The Rock who just show up when the getting's good and say that they're part of the family when they're not. And that was a real interview. That wasn't a promo. That was like a media interview. Google Seth Rollins Undertaker. The first thing that comes up is a quote that Seth Rollins said. When this documentary came on and Seth Rollins was out doing media, out of character, just being himself. And he said that the Undertaker character would not work in 2020. Oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, you got an opinion now, do you, Seth Rollins? Because that sounds inflammatory to me. You got a lot of real life there that you can create some animosity out of to put together a pretty, pretty, well, I would say to put together a match that I believe would be pretty, pretty, pretty good. Plus, at the end of the day, I mean, this is everything you wanted with Mordecai. You got Seth Rollins, the Monday Night Messiah, coming out to the Jesus hymns and wearing all white versus The Undertaker, The dead man coming out to the gongs wearing all black. Just that the man in black is the good guy in this scenario. And finally, my number 10 reason that The Undertaker needs to have one more match in WWE. Boom! Adam Cole, baby! Can you imagine? Adam Cole versus The Undertaker at WrestleMania? You want to talk about a match that would transition Adam Cole off of the NXT roster and onto Raw and SmackDown, you want to talk about a match that would let the world know that Adam Cole is not here to be NXT champion. Adam Cole is here to be one of the greatest WWE superstars of all time. And let's bring real life into it because you know how much your boy, the last professional broadcaster, scoops hack wrestling journalist, Roberts. You know how much I like real life. You know how much I like intertwining it, right? So what happens if We bring real life into this too. And we bring up the fact that it is no secret that Shawn Michaels' favorite wrestler is Adam Cole. Shawn Michaels talks about addiction in this Last Ride documentary and how we're all addicted to wrestling. And when he's saying this, he's kind of acted like he's cured from his addiction, but he's not. Because as he's saying this, he's wearing an Undisputed Era hat. When you watch Adam Cole perform and they keep those Shawn Michaels meetings nice and secret, nobody really knows what goes on. None of us fans do anyway. But you know, you know, Adam Cole's got Shawn Michaels all over him. Shawn Michaels, the guy that on two occasions couldn't beat The Undertaker. Shawn Michaels, the guy whose career was ended by The Undertaker. Shawn Michaels, who wanted to be Mr. WrestleMania, but couldn't beat the guy whose streak defined WrestleMania and whose WrestleMania streak defined him, The Undertaker. Well, now, now I got news for you. And this wouldn't be, this would be, I mean, imagine the promo, right? You're sitting there in the ring, and Adam Cole's like, he shows up on Raw, and he's like, I'm on Raw for one reason. The only reason, There's only one reason why I left NXT, because I loved NXT. And he'd show up and he'd look at the Raw roster and he'd go, there is nobody on this roster that I think is better than the guys that we have in NXT. There is nobody here that I look at as better competition than the competition that I already went through in NXT. There's one guy that I'm here to call out on Monday Night Raw. And that's The Undertaker. We got 30 days before WrestleMania, Punk. This is the WrestleMania that Adam Cole comes to the table. Undertaker. Undertaker. I'm calling you out next week on raw. Shaw Michael shows up. Adam, man, you don't know what you're doing. Trust me when I tell you, you don't know what you're doing. You don't want to do this. You don't want to be that guy. He's seven feet tall. He's going to destroy you, man. And it'll end your career. It ended mine. We've worked too hard. Cole, you and I have worked too hard. He's like, get out of my face. Sexy boy. I don't need your advice anymore. Boy toy. OK, you didn't take any advice. So Jose Lothario, your ass on out of here. That's what Adam Cole would say. Next week on Raw, Undertaker shows up. He's staring down Adam Cole. Adam Cole is staring down the Undertaker. The Undertaker's about to step to Adam Cole. Shawn Michaels is in the ring. Kicks Undertaker right in the face. Super kicks him right in the face. Now you got bad guy Shawn Michaels who's got Adam Cole's back. And you're leading up to WrestleMania, baby. And the next two or three weeks, you've got Adam Cole with Shawn Michaels behind him. Coming into WrestleMania to do what his teacher couldn't. And to get some vengeance for him. Money, baby. All money all the time. And when Adam Cole beats The Undertaker, but at the end of the day, they have one of the greatest matches of all time and you get to sit there and you get to watch a match that you know, Sean, Undertaker, and Cole talked through. Forget it. Forget it. I think it'd be awesome, man. I think it'd be awesome. If I'm going through this whole list of 10 I just gave you, Adam Cole might be the one I want the most. It might be the one I want the most. Lots of good stories to tell and I don't think we're done hearing them. You mark my words. Undertaker will be back. Just like we'll be back here next week for another episode of Not Sam Wrestling. Thank you, everybody. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.
1: Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been...